Well, a long time ago, Charlene and I moved into the first and only house we would ever own uh, at the end of Chestnut Street in Winona Lake, Indiana. And just to our east were neighbors that we met. Actually, I had already known him quite a bit. Fritz and Kelly were our neighbors. Fritz and I had known each other because for some time he had been the Bible teacher at our local Christian high school. And because as a youth pastor, I had one of the larger segments of students at that particular school, I had gotten to know the faculty and staff there at at Lakeland Christian Academy. In fact, uh, one year I invited Fritz to come and be our high school winter retreat speaker. So it was really great to have Fritz and Kelly next door neighbors. And by the time we moved into our little house in, on Chestnut Street, uh, Fritz had left the teaching profession for a while and he was doing what it seems many pastors tend to do. He was selling insurance. He wasn't a pastor, but he went to selling car insurance and house insurance. And one day we got to talking and I said, you know, Fritz, I would like to switch our house and automobile insurance to you. Yes, we bundled before bundling was a thing, just so you know. And he said, well, who are you with? And I told him the company we were with. And he said, you know, Scott, I'm, I'm really not going to be able to save you any money. I said, well, do this. Write us up a policy and let's compare apples to apples and let's see what we got. Well, he wrote up a policy and, and he was right. He wasn't going to save us any money, but I bought his policy anyway mainly because of that response. He didn't try to sell me. He was honest with me. The more we got to talking as as neighbors and friends, he told me what drove his business philosophy. He said it's the book of Proverbs and the passage we're going to look at today provide the foundation for how I do business. He said, I want to do business in a way that I am honest with everyone. I want to be a man of integrity. And he said, I have lost sales to clients because they would come and I would tell them everything the policy would and wouldn't do. I wouldn't pull any punches. And they would say, well, I don't think that's the policy for us. And they would go down the street to another insurance person and would buy the exact same policy because that person had kept a few things back from them and let them know that this was going to be a great policy and come the first claim, they found that Fritz was right. I wanted to be in his camp. I wanted that man as my insurance man. I was refreshed as I reflected on that when I was going through this passage and I, I was, got to thinking about who are the people I know with integrity, and, and there is a good list, but that story just kind of came back to me like, yeah, that was so great to know that this man dealt that way with his business. You see, I don't think any of us want to be taken advantage of. I don't think any of us want to be deceived. And our passage this morning, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, it's a brief passage. And yet I think it's very important for us in the world in which we live. Listen to these words from Jesus from Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven or by heaven, 
for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. One of the things I find interesting is always looking at how our our scriptures are arranged and where things fall in that arrangement. And I find it interesting that this statement follows two statements, one on uh, how we think and how we consider people in our thoughts, and one on keeping our, our vows, and then it's going to be followed by a statement on mercy and, and how we treat those that mistreat us. And so in the middle of that is this statement that I would stay, say is a statement of, of integrity. Uh, God wants us to be people of integrity. In fact, I would say this. This is the sermon in a sentence, and you're going to hear it again and again. God-centered integrity is not optional for a Christ follower. We who claim to follow Christ are to be people of integrity. And and to, to state it another way, and where we're going to begin today, is we must be people of our word. I know we decry the day when uh, you know a man's word or a woman's word was their bond or a business was done with a handshake. And I, you know what? I appreciate that. I really do. I think that is such a high value. And yet we live in a world that's just not that way. And you know, I, we read these verses, and the first time I read them, I thought, I wonder what was going on that Jesus sensed that he needed to address this. Uh, and so digging into it, there's a several things that we can learn. The word that Matthew uses that is translated oath is a word that carried with it the idea of to commit perjury. Perjury is a legal term in our culture, and it's really serious. If you commit perjury in the state of Illinois, if you're on a witness stand and you've promised to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth and you commit perjury and it is proven and you're convicted of it, it could mean up to five years of a, of a jail sentence. And it goes even further. Of course, we hear in the news all the time about people lying to the FBI. If you lie to a federal agent, it could go up to eight years. But as Christ followers, we shouldn't need the threat of going to jail to be people of our word. Jesus is not saying, remember he said, I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. Very important. He's not saying it's wrong, or it was wrong, or the law was wrong in having oaths. The idea of making, keeping vows or oaths, that's a good thing. It's a good reminder. A standard for God's people has always been stick to your promises and their example is God himself who made an oath to Abram in Genesis 22.6 and he carried that oath out in Jesus coming and dying for our cross. And Abram became a great nation and, and, and through him all nations were blessed because of Jesus. So the idea wasn't wrong. So what was going on in the first century uh, 
that made Jesus think that this needed to be dealt with? Well, by the time we get to the first century, the nation of Israel, the religious leaders, they had found a way to kind of sidestep the rigor of keeping oaths. The logic kind of went this way. The third commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, reminds us to not take the name of the Lord in vain. That's so much more than a byword or swear word. It means to treat the name of God as if it's useless, as if it's worthless, as if it has no value. And when you make an empty oath in God's name, you take the name of God in vain. You treat it as worthless. And that was actually amplified in the book of Leviticus. The the book of Leviticus in chapter 19 and verse 12 warns the people not to swear falsely by the name or the character of God. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 21, I'm sorry, chapter 23, That whole system is reiterated in several verses. It says, when you make an oath, you need to carry it out and see to it that it gets done quickly. Now, all of that was what we would say established law. So, how do I work around that? Oh, I get it. I won't make an oath in God's name. So, I'll swear by heaven. Or I can swear by earth or Jerusalem. Or I can swear by the hair of my head or by my chinny chin chin. I will do, I will, I will make a promise, but I don't have to keep it because I didn't use the name of God. You know, we have oaths, don't we? Scouts honor. You know, have you ever used that one? I can't. I was never a scout. I swear on a stack of Bibles. Or on my mother's grave, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. We have all those things we've used and all. And and the fact of the matter is, Jesus says none of that is valuable, and he raises the bar. He raises the bar because God-centered integrity is not optional for the Christ follower jesus says you've heard it say by the people long ago don't break your oath but fulfill to the lord the vows you've made that's true but i tell you do not swear an oath at all either by heaven all right there was the first one i'll swear by heaven jesus said can't do that why it's god's throne or by earth oh yeah we can just nope can't do that it's god's footstool and the astute listener would realize that Jesus is referencing Isaiah 66.1. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? And Jesus said, you can't do it on your head. You can't swear on your head because, folks, none of us are really in control of the natural color of our hair. You know, the other day, Charlene and I were out. We had dinner. It was a special dinner. We asked the server to take a picture of us. We posted on Facebook. I looked at it on Facebook, and I went, oh, my hair is getting gray. 
I mean, you know, it's, it's not as gray as somebody else's gray, but it's still there. It's like, I can't control it. I could. I, naturally, I can't control it. I can control it. There's all these things, you know, that can, I can brush in, and it'll turn back to its natural color. Uh, but you know what? You can't control that stuff. So what's Jesus saying? What's the point he's making? Let me make it simple. You and I can't hide from God. He's fully aware of all that we do. He's fully aware of all that we say. And he holds us accountable. So Jesus is saying, instead of making up stuff that you think you can say so you can get around God's standards, just realize with God there is no plausible deniability. With God you can't say, oh, I didn't know, because he knows you did know. As long as we live in a broken world, we need to realize God's clear standards will always be countercultural. We live in a world of plausible deniability, a, a, a term that was coined, I think, back in the 70s. And it's that, that idea that, oh, well, I didn't know that my underling was going to go and do all those things. I, I was not aware of it. They, went, they acted on their own. Yeah, we know that's not the case. Or it's just plain denial. Never admit that you're wrong. Never admit guilt. Make them prove their case. Get by with all you can. And Jesus says, if you're really going to follow me, if you're going to live in the kingdom, if you're going to live in the kingdom of heaven that's here on earth now, then you can't rule God out of your lives. People of God-centered integrity don't need an oath to validate our words. Now, I want to apply this, but I want to give you a little caveat because at other times when I've taught this, it's come up. I am very aware, in fact, I had professors who would say that it's a, a violation of Jesus' words to stand on a witness stand in a court of law and to raise your right hand and say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And they would say, you know, that's, that's going against this. I can see them saying that, and so their thing would say, and there are those who can. Though, For instance, what does someone who says, I don't believe in God at all, they can say, I affirm to tell the truth in the whole, and that's what my professors would say. But I don't think that's really the point here. I don't think it's talking about that. And, and, and you know what, if I've been on a witness stand once, and I, I went through the whole thing, and I don't think I violated that. It's, it's, that's not the point here. The core issue here is my word and my promise is such that I need nothing to back it up. It is dependable. See, I think the point Jesus really wants us to grip is this. Simple truth is most effective and most reliable. Simple truth is most effective and most reliable. I, it, it, I think it's attributed to Abraham Lincoln who said that a person who tells a lie has to have a good memory so they can remember the last lie that they told. Because if you get into a habit of telling not the truth, you have to keep covering it up. Simple truth. Simple truth is most effective and reliable. On our trip, I downloaded and read part seven of a series of books I'm reading, 
legal thrillers. It's kind of my thing. John Grisham doesn't have anything new out, so I had to go with another one. It's part of a series of books that deals with a, a man who's a wounded veteran who is an attorney. He's struggling with his own PTSD from his service in Afghanistan. He's become a criminal defense attorney, and he practices in Custer, Wyoming. And at one point in the book I was reading, he was preparing a witness. And he reiterated to this witness time and time again, just tell the truth. All you have to do is tell the truth. Tell the simple truth. Don't add on to it. Don't give lots of explanations. Tell the truth. I will be there. My role is to help keep the truth the main thing. And so just tell the truth. I thought, what, what a wonderful, simple reality. Just tell the truth. Jesus' words are simple and effective. Simply say yes and no. Simple truth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Simple truth. And that's that idea of just being truthful flows throughout the scriptures. Proverbs 10:19 says, "Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongue." And I like how Eugene Peterson's the message rendered it, "The more talk, the less truth." Psalm 15 is an amazing little psalm. Just 5 verses. And in those five verses, a question is answered. The psalmist asks, Lord, who may dwell in your holy hill? In other words, Lord, who is it that dwells in your presence? And then he follows with ten characteristics of someone who dwells in relationship with God. And I found it interesting, of those ten characteristics, two of them have to do with truth and integrity. The third characteristic is the one who dwells in relationship with God is one who speaks the truth from their heart. Verse 2. Speaks the truth from their heart. Truth. Simple truth. Effective. Reliable. The eighth characteristic. The eighth characteristic is one who keeps an oath even when it hurts. You know, sometimes we make that promise, we say we're going to come through, and it's really tough. Simple truth, reliable and effective. The more you and I try to qualify our words, the more we try to justify them, the more we try to massage them, the more we try to project an image, and the more we provide the case that we're just not who people think we are. And Jesus makes it strong. He says anything beyond simple truth comes from the evil one. See, Satan is a liar. That's what Jesus calls him. Satan's a liar. And when you and I are less than truthful, we actually represent Satan more than we represent God. And by the way, lest you think that this is now an open door to just be brutal, 
you know, and to walk up to someone and say, you know, my pastor told me I had to tell the truth, so I'm just going to tell you right now, you don't smell very good. You know, <laughs> you know, my pastor told me I have to tell the truth. I'm going to tell you that outfit just is not working for me today. You know, that, that's, not, that's not the kind of truth because Paul told us that a mark of maturity is learning to speak the truth in love. God-centered integrity is not optional for a Christ follower. Sometimes we work hard to justify ourselves. Sometimes we want to keep what I would call a truth escape hatch available. And I can hear the objections. I've heard them before. All right, well, wait a minute, Pastor Scott. Rahab told a lie, and God honored her. Different circumstances different situation. Well, okay, okay, what about this? What if I'm in a situation where if I tell the truth, either me or somebody else's life is going to be in danger and they could get killed? Looking around the room, thinking about the people I've known in my life, I would say those scenarios are quite rare. I think it's best that we look at the day-to-day I think sometimes we create these scenarios to try to get away with it. It's just simple truth. Uh, Dr. Craig Keener has written a, a commentary on Matthew. He gives a couple practical scenarios in this passage. He says, We're not acting with integrity when we lie to cover our own wrong motives from those we think would disdain us because we forget that one day God will expose all the secrets of our hearts. He said we're not acting with integrity when we lightly commit ourselves to meet people at a particular time and then unnecessarily delay them as if their time were a commodity that's less precious than ours. We treat them unjustly and deceitfully, even if it's relatively minor. He said we, we uh, are not acting with integrity when we make promises in business deals or make some kind of a lasting vow and don't follow through. God-centered integrity. It's not optional for a Christ follower. My friend Fritz wanted to make sure that when he did business with anyone, he gave them the complete truth about their policy because it was a core value for him. He wanted to be a person of integrity And honesty and integrity, I think, are twin realities for the one who follows Jesus. Honesty is telling the truth, and integrity is living the truth. You see, when our lives back up our words, our words don't need to be defended. When we are the same person in private with the people who know us the best, as we are in public with the people who judge us by how we live, but if we're the same person, if, 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 if I go home today and my wife gets the same Scott Howington that you get, that's integrity. But if I go home today and my wife gets somebody completely different, somebody that isn't who I present here, then that's lack of integrity. We need to be people of simple truth. And say, hey, I'll meet you for coffee tomorrow at 10. Then be there. Be there at 10. 
And if you can't be there, call them long before they leave their office to say, oh man, something came up. It's truly an emergency. Can we reschedule? But be a person of truth. Try to respond to that voicemail or that email in a timely fashion so that, because I don't know about what your voicemail says, but mine says, leave your name, number, and message, and I will get back to you as soon as I can because your message is important to me. I want to make sure I stay with that. When I own my words, when I own my actions, when I make no excuses for my failures, then I'm a person who is reflecting God-centered integrity. And God-centered integrity is not optional for the Christ follower. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. As I've said before, sometimes your word pulls no punches and there's a part of that that we like and a part of that that's sometimes kind of tough to to swallow. And Lord, remind us today, we don't do this on our own. We don't have to be people of integrity on our own. You're, you're not into us living the Christian life in a, in a vacuum. Lord, it's in relationship with you that we learn about integrity, and it's in relationship with one another in community that we learn integrity. It's in relationship with you that we are held accountable, and it's in relationship with one another in community that we can be those true brothers and sisters in Christ who help one another be accountable to you and accountable to our word. So, Lord, I pray that you will use this to open our hearts, to show us where well, show us where we're doing it right and show us where we need to grow. In Jesus' name, amen.